Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and today I welcome Jeremy Kimball and Thad Franz to the podcast table. We'll be discussing our recent sermon at Grace Baptist Church, focusing on Matthew chapter 22. Jeremy, Thad, thanks for joining us. I know you came through the rain just like me, a little waterlogged, but I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here, and happy Tuesday, 2-22-22. That's right. There it is. That. that is. <laughs> and somebody will be listening to this in 10 years, maybe, and wonder, wow, what was going on 10 years ago? <laughs> well, we, we had a good run through this chapter of Scripture on Sunday, chapter 22 of Matthew, that is, and, and there's so much here to digest. Before we get into some of the detail, though, I think it's probably appropriate to step back and remind ourselves of the context of the narrative. Uh, Thad, you pointed out even before we went on to the microphone that uh, really, you know, it's simply a continuation of what's going on in chapter 21. In other words, before we delve into the, these five unique conversations that make up this particular chapter, let's talk about how Jesus is guiding the conversation to meet what his objectives are heading towards the cross. Yeah, you're right, Bart. Uh, This is really uh, five unique conversations in this chapter, but it's building upon the two parables that we saw in chapter 21. And uh, really what it's communicating to the religious leaders is, um, you know, Jesus is uh, the Messiah and that he truly is being merciful, even in his answering of questions and telling these parables. And, uh, and again, the Pharisees and the Pharisee wannabes and uh, those that are in that, that conversation is seeking to trip up Jesus and entangle him and give reasons to rid of him, uh, knowing that Jesus is just a few days away of going to the cross. But Jesus is still here graciously presenting truth. And that, that, that's why I took away from uh, even this chapter uh, the truth of who he is, the response of the people, and the consequences of those that don't have genuine faith in him. And Jesus is just amazingly merciful, providing many opportunities to hear truth and give response, even though he knows the hearts of men. And Jesus is masterfully engaging the leaders in their unfair questions with answers and parables that grow in intensity that God will judge Israel for rejecting the Messiah, but those who will trust in him, Jew and Gentile, will uh, truly be chosen and be a part of God's kingdom. So we've got a, a situation here where Jesus certainly is not running from the circumstances. He's not running from the what he knows is going to happen. And, and it's pretty obvious that he's, he's here at a certain time, at a certain place, mm-hmm. for a certain purpose. The Passover lamb is coming. Uh, I know that I might be tempted to just dismiss all these people and say, you know, forget you. We're getting to a point where he's, he's moving that way. But I would have done it a lot earlier where I'd just say, hey, you guys are a bunch of idiots, if you'll excuse the term. And uh, you just don't get it, do you? Right. Well, it's a definite build towards that. And even going way back to Matthew 13, there is that whole notion of him telling these parables and recognizing those who are not understanding, comprehending them. This is Isaiah 6. You have, you have blind eyes. You're not seeing. You're not hearing mm-hmm. what is transpiring. This is, you're right, the climactic sort of moments of this as he's in Jerusalem. But, but it, and it's so instructional, too. It just He is taking each question 
He's really getting down to the nubbins of it. He's really – and he is surprising them at every turn. Yes. Not at all going where they think they're guiding him. They and think they're the examining way, they're him. They're they think experts. they're examining him, and then it's like, yeah, the tables get turned, and all of a sudden, <laughs> wait a second. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, so, so the first discussion that we come to focuses on a king's feast. He tells the parable of the king's feast, and it really seems apparent to us, and, and evidently to the Jew- Jewish religious leaders, they got the point that Jesus was making. Tim, uh, he indicated on Sunday as he was preaching that this parable presents Jesus or God's rejection of the Jewish nation and their leaders who had themselves rejected his invitation and, and it presents his acceptance of the Gentiles in the Jews place and this is this in itself is revolutionary it would appear it's presented as a come one come all invitation to the to the celebration uh, it's just as evident that not all who come will be accepted. Can you talk a little bit more, Jeremy, about this concept and how it fits into the greater narrative of Jesus's interaction with the Jewish leaders? Yeah, I mean, you see in the previous chapter, even the previous parable, that parable of the tenants, mm-hmm. right? The idea of workers of the field and them killing servants and eventually the son. And in 2143, he says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Earlier saying like, hey, that's going to be Gentiles and tax collectors. So all these parables are being told, and I think the wedding feast just continues on as the same kind of notion as parable of the tenants, same kind of notion. And Jesus is saying here, you are deceived into thinking it is by your own self-wrought efforts to be righteous for God that you're going to be in the kingdom of God and all those who are humble, who are meek, who are seeking God by means of uh, just sheer, I need your mercy, Lord, are the pathetic ones who are outside the kingdom that you need to like get strong and, and follow like us and do the right things in these ways. And Jesus keeps saying again and again in Matthew, no, this is a kingdom that is given to a people who recognize who the king is, humble themselves, beseech his mercy, and, man, the king always gladly gives mercy every time. Uh, people who think they don't need a physician, think they're healthy, they're good. And he's saying, I came for the sick to heal those who recognize it. Amen. And this goes back, and I'm going to take you back, Jeremy, about a year when we were starting Ephesians, mm-hmm. a, the book of Ephesians. And, in fact, I think you were the, we've said this before, you were the first guest on a podcast at Grace Baptist Church. We were talking at that time about the mystery. Yes. And we talked, we referenced Romans chapter four, the fact that the children of God are not Abraham. The children of Abraham are not Abraham necessarily just Abraham's physical progeny. That's right. They're his spiritual progeny. Yes. It seems to link into that. Yeah. Romans four and Galatians three, those who are of faith are children of Abraham. And even, you know, there, there's all through the gospels, not just Matthew, but there's all these accounts of saying like, we are, Abraham's our father. This is in John chapter eight. And they're saying, God is our father. He chose us, Israel. And Jesus is clear to say the plan all along since the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 is that through the offspring of the woman and Israel, that is the Messiah, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so let's deal with a question that has come up throughout history. Before this time of, of the recording of Matthew chapter 22 and certainly many times afterwards, let's talk about this. Does God hate the Jews because they rejected him? Well, hate the Jews, I would say no. I mean, uh, 
you know, this is God's chosen people. And, and, and truly we see that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, even for his pursuit of his people. And again, we're seeing this in these parables, even though he hates the sin and the, the complete rejection of his son, the Messiah, he is continuing to pursue them and he's continually being merciful to them. Even to today, what you're pointing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll just add to say I totally agree in, in Romans 11. Uh, affirms this, that a partial hardening has come upon the Jewish people until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. I would say God's love has not ceased for the Jewish people, and that, in fact, I would say from Romans 11, there'll be a massive number of Jewish people Mm -hmm. at the end of history who believe in Jesus as the Messiah for their salvation. Yeah, we see through Old Testament prophecy that there would be a remnant that will truly mm-hmm. come to faith in Jesus uh, through through salvation by faith, and uh, that will be part of God's choosing of them based on their faith in the Messiah. And we're talking here, it seems like a, a people group, but individuals have every opportunity to come to Christ absolutely themselves Jewish Gentile yep. whatever ethnicity that's actually Ephesians Ephesians 2 he's taking the two Jew and Gentile and put them into one new man that is Christ and right. so Jew Gentile there's free access to salvation yep. in Christ and mm-hmm. even if we look back at the passage and specifically the wedding feast parable mm-hmm. we see there was one that came uh, without the wedding garment. And uh, the way I would tie this in is even those that are not his chosen people, Gentiles, if they come on their own terms, then, and it's not based on genuine faith in Jesus, total allegiance that we're going to continue to see in this chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, then they're going to be left out. And we see uh, the the, the invitee's response was he was speechless. He didn't have any response of faith uh, towards the Son, and so therefore uh, the consequence was punishment. For by grace we are saved through faith, Ephesians 2. So then we have a passage. Let's move on to this one. We have a passage in verses uh, 15 through 22 in which Jesus responds to the Pharisees' attempts to basically entangle him in the discussion of civil responsibilities in light of their foreign occupation by the Romans. Again, let's fit this into the to the greater narrative. What where's Jesus going with this? Yeah, I think in short, Jesus is being bold and completely honest with these Pharisee wannabes and the Herodians or or the Greeks saying, "You hypocrites, why do you put me to the test?" I mean, that's as about uh, confronting as as it can be, because he knew their hearts. But at the same time, his answer gives meaning to the greater narrative. That it's about, are we fully the Lord's, or are we of the world? I, I really think that's kind of the question that, that's at hand. And if we're fully of the Lord's, our obligation is to Him and to Him alone, as we'll see in His answer in verse th- uh, 37, love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we will follow His commands to be good citizens, to be good neighbors in this world. We've been learning throughout the book of Matthew what it means to be a good kingdom citizen. Mm -hmm. And so we start to apply what we've learned throughout the Sermon on the Mount and the other teachings of Jesus. But even while we live in this world and we seek to live under government authority, our priority and our allegiance lies with our God. 
Okay, let's take that the step further. And um, Tim Cockrell, if you're listening, bless you. You've you've it forced us into a dynamic that sometimes is a little bit uh, dicey. It can get dicey within a church, within a society, and you kind of put us there. But thanks, buddy. But he, he made a point of contextualizing Jesus's teaching in terms of some circumstances mm-hmm. we have all been through together, mm-hmm. and it, pretty much everybody who's been listening uh, or is listening now have been together here in this. He pointed out that Jesus's instruction is that we do have the responsibility to obey our civil leaders, like you said, that who, by the way, are ordained by and they're instruments of God. Mm-hmm. He talks about this, uh, Peter talks about this in chapter uh, two of his first epistle. So we have a responsibility to obey those civil leaders in spite of what we might be considering as our personal rights to Mm -hmm. do otherwise, unless that obedience would contradict God's law. So let's talk about that dynamic. And uh, we've all been through the pandemic. We've all had uh, opinions as to whether or not we have personal freedom not to wear a mask, not to get a vaccine if in certain circumstances it was mandated not to do this, that, or the other. And we could apply this to many other certain circumstances. Let's talk about it. Softball. It's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 are clear texts to go to beyond Matthew 22 to say God has ordained governing officials. Uh, we are to render taxes to whom taxes are due, Romans 13 says. Uh, 1 Peter 2 says, honor Caesar. We don't have a Caesar um, we have a, we have a democracy, which is always intriguing as well. And so, all that to say, first off, when Paul is calling people to recognize governing authority, it's not as though this is a some sort of Christianized government. Mm-hmm. This is this is predominantly an anti-Jesus mm-hmm. movement government. So, just to keep that in mind, to say we're called to faithfulness and called to recognize, you know, God does install and ordain certain things that um, we recognize as, man, that, that's not what the kingdom of God is going to be forever. No, it's not. And you're right to say in Acts 5, we need to obey God rather than men. If we're called to say, I must go against my conscience to obey that law, I must obey God's law as Daniel did, right? Mm-hmm. There's an example. Mm-hmm. So those, those are some baseline kinds of ideas to keep in mind. And of course, the 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 details, the weeds, then come to what about this sort of uh, legislation or that sort of law that would, you know, hinder rights in these areas, certainly the, the easy answer, and I'll just lob it to that. Now, the, e- <laughs> the easy answer, of course, is to say when these things are moral in nature, moral in nature, by virtue of what the Bible says in terms of laws that we submit to under God, we have to say we're going to obey God rather mm-hmm. than men. We, we have graciously, thankfully, in, in this country uh, not had to deal with that at many levels in in our days. Uh, where As Tim you, said, it's the yeah. exception rather than the rule. Correct. You're referencing. Correct. That's right. Um, but then, of course, thinking through, well, is that law, that issue, that thing, is that is that a trampling of Christian uh, law that we're called to by God, or is it a trampling of we would say certain freedoms that I want to have right. that I'm not guaranteed by God in his word, those are those are things you got to uh, mark out in some ways as not being absolutely equivalent. Recognizing I can still preach the gospel. I can still assemble. I can still do these things. Now, if assembly were outlawed, for example, we'd say we 
we need to yeah. assemble. Yeah, that's right. This this is what we need to do because God has called us to this. That's right. Um, but those are ways I try to think through the parsing out of those things to say, I want this versus God has ordained this in his word. Hmm. No, that's good. I, as, especially as a healthcare professional as well, I've had to deal with some of these questions. And, oh, really? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Pretty regularly. And, and it's been good because um, what it's helped me to do is, again, apply what we've been learning in the book of Matthew to, mm. uh, to truly be poor in spirit, to be meek, uh, to be pure in heart, to seek after God, to look, to align with his word, and, and to prayerfully consider my response, even though... You know, maybe inside of me, in my flesh, I want to respond immediately, or I want to respond because of my self-righteousness and not a way that would be helpful or instructing. Uh, And there's just so much noise in our world today, you know, whether it's news or social media and political views that can distort that, but we have to seek and remember what our identity is and and that we have an eternal perspective. And so one of the things I think to, to learn from this is that our posture be one, that when we make decisions, that we have that internal perspective in mind. And especially as Christians, we should prioritize being salt and light as opposed to being right, maybe, uh, in our political or worldly views in, in in order to guide others in a way that is Christianly. Hmm. Very good. And, and there boy, we could go into a lot further down this uh, down this uh, path. but I think the context of the whole thing leads us elsewhere. So perhaps another time we can get together and talk about a little can, further about yeah, can, can some I of the specifics. One, one, one last thing here. Yeah, of course, I think and and you're right. We could say so much more. you're totally correct. I think we just need to be ready to suffer. We are called to that. I don't think we yeah, agreed, and I don't think that we oftentimes, and I'm not opposed to a lot of initiatives we should and can take in this country to do a variety of things to see legislation and whatever else go on. I think we need to prepare ourselves mm-hmm. to suffer mm-hmm. and to recognize if that were to come, am I ready to uphold Christ in suffering? I think it's a question we should ask ourselves. And when we do what you're saying is, if we do disobey the civil government for appropriate reasons, scriptural reasons, the the civil government is within its right to punish us. They they bear the sword. They do these things and recognize they're not always obviously in the right. They're not always uh, submitted to God and his word and what it says. But we are under that that reality. I, I'm I'm just simply saying that I think uh, we need to understand the context of the New Testament is uh, Jesus saying, "If the master was maligned, what do you think they will do to you?" Hmm. And to recognize that being the case, I, I want to ready my own soul mm-hmm. to say, "Whatever it takes, I will follow Jesus." Mm-hmm. That's what I want to get to yeah. in my heart. Not 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 in any way abdicating other things that I could do in this context in this country. Voting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. I just want to be ready to yep. do what God has called me to do. Right. Great. Great. Well, I appreciate your your discussion on that. It goes mm-hmm. deep, and like I said, let's come back to it another time to get uh, get further into it. Uh, let's go ahead and skip down to verses thirty four to forty. Now, I I love places in the Bible. I can think of Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, verses thirteen and fourteen as another one. But I love places in the Bible where God presents deep truths in these compact, simple statements. Mm-hmm. He just simplifies it for dummies like uh, me. I won't include you too. But it, verses thirty seven to forty specifically, He does that, and, and again contextualize this this idea love god love others 
on these two commandments hang the entire law and prophets, he says. Contextualize this for us. And this time, let's look at Jesus' words from the perspectives of, of how the Pharisees might have heard this. I mean, they're, they're going to have a unique perspective mm-hmm. on this relative to what we might think. Yeah, so I agree, Bart. When we uh, see God present deep truths in a compact statement, I think for me it's easy to breeze by the statement. We might know it by memory, and we just kind of breeze through it. But I, I, I think the challenge for us should be to linger, to truly look at it at different angles, as you might look at a diamond in its different facets. And we know God's Word is a treasure, and He provides us new truths if we just meditate on His Word. And even as I studied this passage over the past week, two weeks, two things stood out to me in this greatest commandment. It is personal, and it's a call to total allegiance. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So it's personal, but there's not um, some of one and nothing of another. It's Mm. total allegiance. It's all in, and that's what Jesus is really, I think, uh, where he's putting the line in the sand. In Jesus' response, I think one thing the Pharisees would have heard would have been, these commands are calling me to something I can't give up, and that is self. In Jesus' response, he's saying that the greatest commandment in the law will require us to deny self, to pick up his cro- our cross, and fully follow him to the fullest extent. And the Pharisees' response that we've already seen in this chapter is full rejection. And, and, and so that's some of the thoughts that I think they're thinking of. I think, you know, they're following the law, but as we've seen all along and as Jesus has pointed out in the questioning or the parables, is it's, it's a matter of the heart. And their heart is not there, even though their activity might show good things. And so, again, that's a, a challenge to us as well, and maybe those that are listening to this podcast today. Is there a transformation of the heart? Or are we just playing the, the idea of religion and following the law and obeying God's commands? Mm. It has to come from the heart. And, and, in, and we see that in the second command of loving neighbor as yourself. I know for me, I cannot love my neighbor genuinely without God's help and God's ad- object of his love. And I know your neighbors. I yeah. understand how hard that could be. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> so um so yeah, I think, you know, that that's something that's been helpful for me even as I've studied this passage this week and 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 hopefully be uh help us slow down as we're uh thinking about Jesus' commands here. That's uh, great comments and uh the idea of full allegiance. Do we really understand what that means? Does it permeate and take everything? in us well and and to jeremy's point earlier uh when it gets hard and it might even lead to suffering we're going to really see who is truly genuinely following jesus excellent so now let's just let's head to the final passage here in this particular chapter verses 41 to 46 and this time instead of the jewish leaders asking jesus a question Mm -hmm. he initiates he for the first time in this teaching section initiates by asking them a question 
I'm thinking that may be significant here. Uh, here Jesus is asking them a question meant to invoke the name of David. I mean, I'm sure he's eliciting a response that he knows is going to include the name of David, that name that now we've heard this four times in verses 20, or chapters 20 and 21 as he's mm-hmm. approaching Jerusalem and entering Jerusalem. And there's got to be more there than just the, the word David. Oh, well, I mean, in terms of thinking through the idea of the word David, I mean, you read Second Samuel and see that he enters, of course, first Judah and then all of Israel by chapter 5, and then eventually overcoming Salem and entering that place as this city that became known as the city of David, no doubt. So, so even just the entering in as he did would, uh, would bring up um, connotations of Second Samuel Five and beyond, where David comes as king and conqueror in that kind of a way. So certainly in the Davidic king aspect, he's the son of David, Matthew 1, and we're seeing that even visually in this moment as well. Can I, can I comment on the, the text as well just By briefly all means, here? So please. it's interesting because he asks, you know, who, uh, what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Which we're like, that's a weird question, probably thinking that. And they say, the son of David, you know, mm-hmm. and which is the right answer. And uh, then he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. And uh, so then, then how is it David said in the spirit, um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one can answer him a word. And I recall for a lot of years reading that kind of a text and being like, yeah, Jesus just shut you all up. I don't know what, he, I don't know what he's saying, but he yeah, shut you all down. I, I didn't quite understand where he was. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. So if you're there, uh, I was there for a number of years as well. I think Psalm 110, it, it starts off saying a Psalm of David, and then it says, the Lord said to my Lord, which is the, the, the Hebrew term to Yahweh, mm-hmm. covenant name of God, says to my Adonai, it's a different word for Lord there. So you've got mm-hmm. God the Father and God the Son, it seems there, and David referring to Adonai the Lord as his Lord. Yeah. And so that second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is his Lord. So is he the son of David? Yes. Is he the Lord of David? Yes. He's the offspring of and greater than in that way. But they're like, I don't don't know what to do with that because they have no concept Hmm. of thinking through how David's descendant is greater than David. Mm -hmm. He's just a descendant who's going to be a warrior who's going to take over whoever at this point, Rome. And he said, no, 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 actually, like, this is the Lord. And uh, they do not comprehend all that this is. But the Davidic son has come riding a donkey into Jerusalem, and he has thwarted all attempts mm-hmm. to uh, stymie his teaching and made known who God is and who he is, and in the process is calling people to himself to say, Jesus is Lord. Absolutely incongruous to their construct. Mm-hmm. That's right. It doesn't work. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, end of the chapter... It's the climax, right, of this chapter to say he is truly who he says he is. He is the Son of God. And we see, again, the Pharisees or the religious leaders' response. They have no clue. Yep. They're blinded, and, and their response is none. It's speechless. Uh, and, and, and it really, again, just highlights what these conversations ha- yeah. have continued to lead to. Astonishing. It, it leads to them not repenting and saying he is Lord, yes. but to... Let's kill him. Yes. And it leads them to, to the point. No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to ask him questions yeah. any longer. 
Guys, appreciate your time. It's been great to fellowship around the Word of God and to talk through this some more. Uh, there's a lot more coming here in Chapter 23, and oh, yeah. uh, we're looking forward to spending some time together here next Sunday and throughout the coming weeks as we finish through Matthew. Jeremy Kimball and Thad Franz have been our guests on this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing our church's recent sermon from Matthew chapter 22. And you can access that message from Tim Cockrell as well as any other Grace Baptist Church sermons as well as podcast episodes on your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in Matthew chapter 23. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning in to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.